In a democracy with tens of thousands of moving parts, poll workers are often likened to the linchpin that holds all of the pieces in place. While local election officials train and manage these individuals and manage other aspects of the voting process like mail voting, during in-person voting, poll workers are the ones verifying voter eligibility, addressing voter questions, handing out ballots, troubleshooting technical issues, and reporting results to election boards once the polls close. Every election cycle, poll workers across the United States commit to working long hours for relatively little pay to ensure that every voter who wants to cast their ballot can. In this special Election Day episode, Jenya Coulter shares how she came to work elections in the perennial battleground state of Florida as an election worker, which is what poll workers are called in Florida. She shares the serendipitous journey of how she went from wanting to be a political scientist who attended Georgetown University to one of the most effective and efficient election workers in her jurisdiction. Now a well-known elections advocate on Twitter and the founder of Hashtag Election Twitter, Jenya shares her perspective on the act of voting both as a voter and as an arbiter of democracy working the polls. She talks about the amazing experience of helping a newly naturalized citizen and his daughter during their first time voting, and tells us what happened when Gary Johnson's campaign manager came into her polling place. As a voter, the act of voting means holding elected officials accountable for Jenya. As a poll worker, Jenya sees it as her primary job to make sure that voters know, no matter what, their ballot is safe as long as it is with her and her team, and it will be counted as cast. You can mess around with me, Jenya tells us, but don't mess around with my voters. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of person I want running my polling place on Election Day. Welcome to this Election Day episode of What Voting Means to Me. just like let's just geek out over the next half hour to an hour because this is so much fun i i love twitter for this very reason i'm so excited to be chatting with you thank you so much for taking the time i know it's a really busy i mean it's a busy season for all of us but like uh, folks who work in elections right now um i just my heart this is my last day off Oh my gosh. And then you're, and then you're, you're going into early voting mode and training mode and all of that. Yep. Oh, wow. Wow. That is, um, well, we'll definitely have a chance to talk about, um, what that's going to look like for you. If that's something that you, uh, feel. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. feel called to share since it's your last day off. I don't want to, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I certainly don't want to take up too much of your time so we can just go ahead and, and get right to it. So I will start uh, just by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Anything you feel called to share um, doesn't have to be election related, um, but just anything you'd like listeners to know about who you are and where you are in your life right now would be really great. 
right. I am a cautionary tale. <laughs> I originally wanted to be a political scientist and go to Georgetown. Oh my God. And I wound up creating a graphic novel, being a DJ and modeling real practical career aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wound up becoming, you know, stay at home mom. And I wound up going through a really dark period in my life. And at one point I had a therapist say, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with you that couldn't be solved by a job and a cat. Would you like me to write you a prescription for the cat? And this little great tabby named Roscoe wandered into my living room the next day around 4.30 a.m. And then I received a letter from the local supervisor of elections office asking me to serve as an election worker. Oh, my God. And I don't believe there's coincidences. So that was pretty awesome. And I served my first election in 2016. Okay. That was a preference primary. And... I just, for some reason, I mean, my Twitter account had existed prior to everything, but for once, people actually, I wasn't shouting into the void. People actually responded back. People liked what I had to say. Next thing you know, I am the social media director at the U.S. Vote Foundation. Oh, my God. Listening, I miss you. And for some reason, they gave me the keys to the kingdom. I don't know why. Like, when she when she initially said, well, you think you're the perfect person? My response was literally, are you sure? <laughs> okay all right i mean i am i mean i am like the revenge of the punk ravers so like letting give, putting me in charge of anything for most people who knew me were like they're putting you in charge uh, are they feeling okay and so people you know it's so like so i had a great time i had a great run at us vote and then i wound up working my way up the ranks sort of at the supervisor of elections office mm-hmm. and from being poll worker to trainer mm-hmm and so basically, I train all the little baby ballot fairies. I love that you call them ballot fairies. I just love it. I want to like be able to include it in the title of a paper at some point because I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. So I'm curious, like, how did you arrive at that sort of conceptualization of poll workers? Oh, God, the ballot, the ballot fairies. Okay, first off, Dana Chisnell is the OG magical ballot fairy. I love her so much. I know her was- work. She was such a good, she was so kind to me, especially at the beginning when everybody thought I was a lunatic. But I got into a fight with an activist on Twitter. They know who they are. I, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to give them any more, I don't want to give them any more press. They have plenty. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, okay, so because she was like, handmark paper ballots, you don't want any computers in elections. And I'm like, where do you think your ballot came from? They're designed on a computer. They're printed by a computerized printing press. There are no magical ballot fairies. They're going to wave a magic wand and poof, there's your ballot. And that literally three days after that argument, I was booked to do a cybersecurity talk for Information Systems Security Association of Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to call my talk. I wrote it the night before because for the last minute, I wouldn't get anything done. But anyway, I was just like, what am I going to call my talk? Because I couldn't come up with a good, with a good one. And then I'm like, like at five in the morning, the day it was due, there are no magical ballot fairies. There you go. And I'm emailing the organizer with my PowerPoint slides and going, okay, so we're calling it there are no magical ballot fairies. I'm really sorry that it took me so long. Wow, that's a, a great more, story. I'm a more proactive about, about it now that you know people are actually like having me write stuff like professionally, but that was me in 2018. Yes, because you are a professional writer for, and remind me again, the organization that you do um, the, the writing for the nonpartisan voting organization 
Uh, first, it was U.S. Vote. I've written for Ordinary Times Magazine and uh, Elections Daily. Which Elections is Daily. My home. That's right. So, uh, so that's that's great background. Great, uh, great introduction. Um, sort of into to how you got to this position where you're at, um, something that I, uh, I think we can maybe dig a little bit more into. Um, but I want to sort of do a little, little bit of time travel right now, if I may, uh, and ask you about your earliest memories of living in a democracy. Okay. Now I am from Huntington Beach, California, okay. which in the 80s was the place where old Republicans went to die. <laughs> so my mother was uh, actually one of the very few Democrats around back then. And I don't have a political party. Um, I'm pretty much nonpartisan. Now, my dad could not vote. Um, my dad was not uh, legally in America. Okay. So if he voted, we've got some problems. But anyway, I remember my mom always would take me with her to vote. Oh. And I remember my first election was in L.A. County. And we were still on those awful glorified keynote cards known as the Inca vote. And it was in my history teacher's rec room. And he lived on a cul-de-sac, which I'm sure made him really popular with the neighbors. Oh, wow. So this was the first time you voted, or, or is this the first time you went with your, your mom? Well, the Inca vote, they, used, they started using the Inca vote in like 1965. They didn't phase it out until 2018. So yeah. pretty much all of my voting, voting stories from prior to, you know, age, you know, 30, Inca vote. Oh, my gosh. I know. I Anytime I... I um, you know, I do the unit on ballot design and sort of ballot usage with my students. It just kind of blows their mind at how outdated the technology can be uh, on, on some of these, um, you know, in some of these jurisdictions, you know, because they're the tech savvy age. They don't understand why, why, why things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know it's so interesting, just like a, a quick sidebar, you know, talking to um, some of the other election workers that I've spoken with, you know, talking about um, places where there are sort of more high tech things like electronic poll books, you know, my, my older election workers saying, I'm so glad that we've got the young folks working with us. They can help us work these things. And I hear some of the young folks saying like, we don't know what we're looking at. You're not, oh my God, you're totally right. It's like, I am in the sweet spot because I was using t- my D- I had a DJ mixer back in like the aughts. There was a touch screen and it was one of the very first touchscreen devices that ever existed. It predates the iPhone. Yeah. So I'm really well versed on touchscreen. It's like, I mean, and for, for some reason I have to touch when it comes to electronics. Like if something isn't working, call me over and I just have me stand next to it. It and, works. And then it'll work. I mean, maybe that's the magical part of the magical ballot fairy, mm-hmm. you know, that, for some reason. So now I actually train how to use the electronic poll books. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I so you you said that you have training coming up this week for your uh, your position for poll workers. Um, is that what they're technically called in Florida? I know it varies from jurisdiction. Sometimes um, they're called election workers. Sometimes they're called election judges. What's the official title? Election workers. Election workers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it it confuses a lot of people when I use different terms sometimes. So I want to make sure that I'm uh, using <laughs> that I'm using the right term. Okay, so I want to um, circle back around to sort of these early experiences with a democracy, going to the polls with your parents, and I think it's so interesting that sort of what stands out to you from your own sort of early voting days is the type of voting instrument that you were using. It just, I think it speaks to a lot of what I know of you and sort of the things that fascinate you about the election process. But I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything else that stands out to you as being noteworthy for your, your first vote in particular, the first 
be it a presidential election or a midterm election. I'm not sure, you know, what, what year. It was the presidential. <gasps> was it? it was 2000. <gasps> you are one, one presidential cycle behind me. I was 2004 was my first time. Wow. And you were, now were you in California or were you in Florida? Yeah, and there was a, I think there was a rule in California where if you were 18 by the prime, if you, you could be 17, but if you were 18 by the general, then you could vote. Yes. And I wound up falling into that category because my birthday, my birthday's in the spring. Okay. Or late, really late spring. So anyway, I remember casting my ballot in my history teacher's rec room. Oh. And I remember just the, like, just using the Inca votes. And then when I found out about Chad's, I'm just like, why don't they just use Inca vote? I mean, that was literally, that was literally my first reaction. Someone needs to write a paper about like this from, I know there's been stuff that's been written like, you know, in practitioners, you know, outlets and journals and things like that. But I'm just thinking like, there's got to be some reason beyond sort of, I don't know, a refusal to move beyond like, antiquated instruments that these things persisted for so long. Do you have any insight on that? Because nobody goes into government because they embrace change. (laughs) Protect the status quo at all costs, right? I am not exactly the most orthodox person who works in the government. I like change. I like progress. I like moving forward. I like technological innovations. But, and so it's like, you kind of look at me and go, so why are you in elections? I mean, like I said, we had the Inca vote back home in LA for like 30 odd years. Yeah. So, so, so maybe just um, for listeners who aren't familiar, could you describe a little bit what the Inca vote involves? Like just sort of give it, give a description for maybe folks who've never used that as a, as a voting system. Oh yes. The Inca vote. Okay. So Los Angeles County has the ballot length could stun a yak. They, yes. they, you will vote on more things in L.A. County in one election than the average person in the U.K. will vote on in their entire lifetime. Wow. Florida's not far behind, by the way. <laughs> so you put this long-looking kino card thingy into this book, and there's holes in the book, and you use a glorified bingo dauber to fill out the choices. Okay. Now, you get ballot privacy, but the problem is you can't tell if you've made a mistake. And if there's a problem with the alignment or how the ballot was printed in the first place, guess what? You'll never know the difference. Oh, wow. And that was the problem with the hanging chads in Florida. Like, fortunately, L.A. was using ink, so that wasn't really a huge issue. But, yeah. Wow. So that's the votes. And you just take it. When you were finished, you take the card out of this little book thing, and you'd place it in the scanner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, like, I never, I've never voted using a voting machine. I've only ever used a paper ballot, either an Inkavote ballot or an optical scan ballot once I moved to Florida. Yeah, my experience has been entirely either absentee when I was still in college, voting back home in Michigan, or um, using the optical scanner in Chicago, uh, you know, where it's, yeah, you mark a paper ballot and then you stick it in the optical scanner. There was the option for electronic machines. I never, I never used them. So, wow. I, I feel like there was, I don't know if you ever watched the show Parks and Rec, but I feel like there was an episode where Leslie Nope uses an Inca vote to vote. I'm pretty that, sure. I think I, remember, I think I remember what you're talking about. That was pretty fun. I'm pretty sure. And then her, her opponent, played by Paul Rudd, is like, I can't figure this thing out. I can't figure out how to work. That. I was like, yes. Oh, my God. I love Thank that you. show. Well, the thing is, it's like, I remember... Uh, 
my kids were like less than two years apart. So I had just given birth to my daughter and like she was, and I was still nursing her. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to deal with a toddler, a nursing infant and voting on an ink vote. <laughs> These are the things that people don't think about, right? In terms of accessibility. And, so, and once I became an election worker, I had a mom with triplets come in and I'm like, do you need me to hold one of them while you vote? And she looked at me, she's like, would you? And I'm like, absolutely. I know what you're going through. I mean, maybe not at that scale, but I understand, you know, it's like the more you offer to help people, I think the better they respond and the more they trust the democratic process because they perceive that you care, yes. that you want them voting. And besides, you can throw a baby at me any time of the day or night. I will be happy as a happy <laughs> Before the coronavirus pandemic hit, I was talking with one of the groups I advise at Khan College, and they had wanted to set up this program for uh, child care in the polls. It's not going to, I mean, it's not going to happen this year, um, unfortunately, but I, that's just, it's such a, I think it's something that, you know, even political scientists don't really think about when we think about barriers to voting. Like, what if folks aren't voting because they don't want to have to deal with bringing their kids to the polls? Uh, and, and rightly so. You can be in line for hours, depending on where you live. So it's it's great to hear. We know there's at least one poll worker out there, probably many, many more who think like you in terms of wanting to support their voters. I have what's called a future voters table where, I mean, my supervisor of elections office makes coloring books and they're awesome. So I put out, I actually did, I, at one point, I actually did have a kid's table with crayons and those coloring books. I just put up on our, one of our alpha break signs and it read future voters. And oh so that God. way the kids, the kids were able to sit there and color while their parents or their grandma, their nana or whoever voted. That is amazing. That is amazing. I love that. I'm going to like make a little mental note for the next election cycle when I will hopefully be able to do this with my students. In any case, okay, wow, your first vote, the 2000 presidential election. I'm very curious if there was any impact that that had on you being a voter in such... I know, I know you were in California, so it's like not a swing state, but... That being your first election, did you think that had any sort of like lasting impact on you, sort of being a part of such a historic and tumultuous time in American politics? I think it did. My mom cried her eyes out because it was my first election. My mother, now the one thing I will say about my mom, my mom was a big believer in voting because her dad was a union organizer back in Pennsylvania, and he was instrumental in Kennedy doing as well as he did in Northeast Pennsylvania. Mm. I mean, my, my grandpa actually took my mom to see JFK speak in Center City, Allentown. Oh, wow. So there's actually pictures of them there. Wow. And so my grandpa instilled civics into all of his kids, and my mom instilled civics into me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to divert. I'm going to digress here because it's like... Go for it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. My voting, I don't really think about my voting like as it affects me, but um, the first election I was ever in charge of in 2016... I had this really sweet man, young man come in with his daughter. He did not speak much English. He had just gotten his citizenship and it was his first election and it was her first election. And he just kept, I mean, he was so nervous and he kept showing me his papers saying, you know, I'm a citizen. I'm like, sir, you know, it's okay. And, um, and I remember, um, you know, they, they voted and we had a voting selfie booth that year. I wish we could bring it back. (laughs) That's awesome. and I asked, and I asked the daughter, I said, can you have your phone? And I took a picture of them. And I said to the daughter, I said, you're going to want this picture, you know, when you're to show your grandkids. And we were all, and you know, they were crying. I was crying. And I, it's like, I will, my dad was, 
white collar criminal and he was an illegal immigrant. And mm. I would never have that experience of voting with my dad. Yeah. So dad comes in with his little girl to vote. I take that crazy serious. And like, I might not have had that experience, but I was able to give it to that man, and his daughter. And, you know, that's, you know, it's like, I can, you know, it's like, if that's the best deed I do in my life, I'll take that. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, and I hope, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, hopefully they're still voting together. Yeah. Yeah. When I, to me, voting is about family. I love seeing families come and vote mm-hmm. because, you know, that's what, you know, that's what I grew up with. And it's like, you know, in Florida, voting is a family affair. Like, it's like, I love when parents come in with all six kids. That is so cool. Or when grandmas bring their kids and their grandkids. It's like, you know, I know, I know voting in person is not the safest thing right now. I, mean, I know. But whenever I see families voting together, I still, I am so happy. Like, it just, it's, it's my happy place. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a people person. But that I can me. tell. <laughs> I can tell just from our, our, our limited interaction, I can tell that, that you are very much um, maybe not a total extrovert, but certainly, you know, got that extroverted personality. And um, I that's such a beautiful story. I just want to affirm that uh, that like story that you just told about helping this newly this new citizen and his daughter vote and making it a meaningful experience. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with election workers and my research where sort of what drives them is that feeling, that moment of being able to help someone engage in the democratic process. I wish it was something that we could find a way to advertise to more folks about how meaningful and valuable it is to do this work. I know it's a long day, long days if you're doing early voting, and then all of the training that goes into it. Uh, And, you know, there's going to be variation from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And, you know, for what it's worth, Jenya, like, we know that if you have a good experience at the polls, you are more likely to come back. Like, you are empirically doing the right thing. And also, it's awesome and amazing. It's pretty beautiful. So, So, yeah, actually, this is a really, I think, good point to transition to. I would love to talk to you about... Um, your experience, we've talked a lot about your experiences as a voter, but I'd love to talk to you about your experiences as an election worker as well. Um, we've sort of got a little bit of the backstory in terms of how you got into this work, um, which I was very eager to ask. And if there's anything else you'd like to add, please feel free to share. But I, I'm wondering if you could talk to me about sort of what you see as both the major positives of the work, as well as the biggest challenges that you feel like you face. Okay. Um, well, it's like some days I get to be the magical ballot fairy. Other days I have to go full election dominatrix. So that's like, I mean, there, there are some, it's like, I know I love 99% of my voters. There are some, but I really do wish I had an ashes of problem voters jar on my desk. Just so they know not to mess with us, but it's, it's a long day. I mean, I am a masochist. I'm into pain. So, you know, it's like a long day doesn't bother me. Like, I'm just like, Ooh, good. Hard work. Give me more. Like, I really do enjoy that, but I know not everybody has, not everybody is, you know, got Terminator DNA like me. And that's okay. It's like, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, bust my butt trying to make sure everything works well and have my workers, most of whom are a lot older than me. I'd rather give them the chance to rest a little bit. You know, they've already worked hard. Yeah. You know, 
I don't want them, you know, it's like, I'd rather, I'd rather assume the risks than see them assume the risks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, am curious. Um, so you said you, you live in a, in a rural jurisdiction. Um, do you find yourself that you, you know, most of your voters every election you're like, Oh, yep. Hey, great to see you. So-and-so, or are there often new faces that come into the voting booth? I am the fixer. Basically, I wish I could work at the same place all the time. I very rarely do. Um, basically, if there's a problem precinct, they're like, hey, let's send Jenya. So I get sent to the ones that need a little extra love. Gotcha. And because you can put me because one, I'm nonpartisan because we have to have an even balance of everybody. So I don't have a political party. Never have. Okay. So you can drop me in with any team and I'm fine. Gotcha. I like that. I kind of like that I get to go to new places all the time. Um, I mean, Everybody, everybody knows you to everybody here because they grew up here and they never left. Yeah. I'm the, weir- I'm the weirdo from Los Angeles. So, okay. you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I know like in Chicago, for example, where I've done the bulk of my research, you're supposed to have an even split of Democrats and Republicans, but there's so few Republicans in Chicago. And so you sometimes find people just being, yes, I will sign up to be the Republican judge. And and so is it my understanding then that you have partisans and then you are allowed a nonpartisan election worker at each precinct? Yeah, well, thank heavens. In Florida, NPAs are pretty sought after because we do get brought in and we can balance everything out. Yeah. Now, things that I run into as an NPA is I do have to, you do have to get on your team about making sure they don't discuss anything political. Pasco mm. um, County, I'm jealous. They've got these great little signs that say everybody is entitled to their political opinion, but we can't share ours. Mm-hmm. I wish we had those signs in my county. I might make some on the off break signs. You never know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised either to, to, to see a tweet about those signs going up. They're, they're really nice. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the harder parts because you have to keep your politics to yourself. And I mean, in Florida, people cannot come in wearing campaign stuff. Like I know that California and Minnesota, apparently you can't, but Florida, you may. Mm. And it's making sure that my poll workers are aware of this. It's like, remember, we can't wear campaign stuff, but the voters can. So we can't say anything about it, regardless of whether or not we vehemently disagree with it. Gotcha. So they can come in with a, a Trump or a Biden T-shirt and pin and all of, you know, all of the, the different paraphernalia. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I threatened um, when Gary Johnson was running back in 2016, he, um, his campaign manager came in to vote. And oh, wow. I actually, I think I was more offended at the fact that he was wearing a black and yellow check tie. Oh. That was huge. So I actually went up and I straightened the guy's tie. <laughs> I looked at me and, I'm, and I looked at him and I'm like, okay, look, I'm going to give you some free political advice. If you want people to take the Libertarian Party seriously, straighten your damn tie. It oh will God. not kill you. I promise. What was his reaction? He was a little, he was younger than me. And he looked at me, he's like, uh, yes, ma'am. And I'm not sure he knew, but he was confused about whether or not he should address me as ma'am or not, which was hilarious. But I think he probably remembered to wear his tie straight then. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Oh, especially, especially in like that environment, like it's election day, dude, come on, like get, get, yeah. get your stuff together. So to speak. I mean, if you're going to wear a tie, you know, at least wear it straight. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like keeping things nonpartisan and you know probably the long days are especially challenging parts of the job. Yeah, I'm wondering though about like other like any particularly positive experiences that stand out or just sort of things in general that you enjoy about the work. I like that I have a lot of flexibility to solve problems mm. and 
they trust me and I am grateful that they trust me because there's certain things because sometimes something can go very, very wrong and you might not always be able to call for backup. And the thing that makes a good lead poll worker is how can you think on your feet? Mm -hmm. You know, how can you use the situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, my proudest moment was when a row of ballot on demand printers and electronic poll books went down during early voting and I figured out why they went down. It wasn't a cyber attack. Somebody overloaded the circuit. Wow. So all we had to do is balance the load, plug it into a couple of different sockets, and guess what? Boom. Worked out. Wow. You just saved a bunch of people from a bunch of headaches because... And and voting only was halted for about 15 minutes. I was really happy about that. Wow. It's not not about whether there's a problem. It's about whether or not you can fix it in a timely manner. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I do have nightmares. I wake up screaming from nightmares about botnets of zombie ballot on demand printers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I, and I also have nightmares about provisional ballots too. I'm kind of strange. Oh no, 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 no. I, I, th- I think that like in those kinds of stress dreams, like are unique to our professions. Like I can't tell you the number of like classroom. I forgot my syllabus and like, or the syllabus isn't finished and it's the first day of class or, you know, all those like, like last minute stress dreams. Yours just happened to be related to ballots and ballot zombies. And, uh, you know, like the, the, all of the million different things that could happen that could uh, put an election in flux. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I just thought of a, a question I hadn't planned on asking. Um, but we're just sort of talking about the different things that, that give you nightmares. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if you um have any particular perspective on what you see as the biggest challenge or concern with this upcoming election cycle. I think ballot drop boxes are a godsend. I would really and it really bothers me that there are certain political pushes to have them um, taken out or not installed in the first place. They make logistics so much easier for every election department. You know, obviously, as long as the ballot boxes are emptied. Yes. But you know, I do worry. But even if we do have ballot drop boxes, I do worry about the security of the drop boxes and the security of people unloading those ballot drop boxes. Mm. I mean, I'm worried about the security, everybody's security already. Um, because one of the things that I read on a tweet on Twitter is somebody said, well, we have police protection. And I'm laughing my butt off. I didn't want to make fun of the person, but I feel like I said, honey, you are the law around these parts. Mm-hmm. Like Florida, um, police cannot come into the polling place unless they're there to vote. Yeah. So I literally have to, I'm deputized by the sheriff. And so I have to settle, you know, issues. And now I'm not afraid of that. Like I kind of be conflict resolution is kind of my thing, but not yeah. everybody, especially brand new poll workers. I do want to make sure that they're okay, that they're safe because it's like, there's some stuff, like if you've done this a while, you laugh about I mean, you're seriously, you're just like, oh God, remember the time that dude threatened to blow us up? Like, and oh my God. But if you're brand new, or especially if you're young, oh my God, that's traumatizing. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to throw the baby ballot fairies, especially the teen, you know, the teenagers and the college students. I don't want to throw them into a pressure cooker situation when they're unprepared. Yeah. I want, I want them to feel like I got this. I can handle this. There is nothing that I can't deal with. And I want to make sure that they've got backup and support if they need it, you know, because I think, you know, I think most, most of the teens and 20 somethings who are coming in, I think they're really bright. And they're so, I I love the younger generation. They're so much fun. I do too. Like genuinely, I love hanging out teenagers. They're actually really cool. It's just, I want them to make sure that they're confident in their abilities and they're not getting browbeaten by voters who are just, you know, like trying to intimidate them 
yeah. or if, if there's a personality clash with some of their poor I think that this is probably a good time to sort of come back around to the overarching question, the title of the podcast, you know, what does voting mean to you? And get any any thoughts you have about sort of what that act means from your perspective, maybe both as a voter as well as an election worker. Um, you're, you're sort of a unique case here because I get to talk to you about both being an arbiter of democracy, which is amazing, uh, and then also someone who participates in the system. So yeah, what, what does the act of voting mean to you, Jenya? Okay, I know that I come down really hard on certain people in the election world, and I've been warned about that. But I'm definitely hard on politicians because voting means to me, you're holding that person accountable. They are not the boss. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be the boss. Voting is how, in theory, we can get rid of the people who don't represent our interests and who aren't fighting for us. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because of things like voter apathy and one of the things I, I think I went on a tangent last night about, because I tend to do that, People aren't worried about their vote being tabulated. They're worried about whether or not the vote really counts because tabulating and counting aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're going to be tabulated and intellectually you understand that. But if something gets overturned by the legislator or you've got a politician that does something horrible and resigns or you're stuck with the same politician in office because something untowards happened, your vote didn't count. Now did it? Mm. And that is what causes so much voter distrust and voter apathy. And as a voter, like, I absolutely understand why voter apathy exists. I mean, I'm from California. We invented election fatigue. <laughs> and so it's like that I think about, I, I draw on my experiences as a voter because as, an, as somebody, you know, election official and somebody who's training the poll workers, I want to make sure it's like, I'm like Judge Mills Lane on Celebrity <laughs> Deathmatch. I want a good fight. My job is to make sure that the voters know that no matter what, their ballot is in, is in is safe as long as it's with me and my team. We will not let anything bad happen to it. It will go into the scanner and, scanner and it will be counted as cast mm-hmm. no matter how it came to us. And mm-hmm. I, that's something I'm trying to take. I try to take the utmost of seriousness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this year more than, than um, previous, you know, the, the years, I feel like you and I have probably been observing elections for about the same number of years. 1996 was the first election. I really remember being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I dressed up as Bob Dole for Halloween, which has come up a couple of times on this podcast. I I met Bill Clinton when I was 10. Oh my God. No, 11. Yeah. So, so I, I feel like in, especially in the years since I've been in the world of election sciences um, and studying the administration of elections, I I worry this year more than most about um, the confidence that folks have that their ballots are safe and that they're being counted. And for for all of the reasons that we don't have enough time to get into. Uh, So I'm it it is really heartening to know that there are folks out there like you who take that job so seriously. And and you're not alone. You know, I I would hope that there is someone like you in every precinct. I know that there's not always. Um, But it it is it is, um, I think, more than ever, very, very much needed. So I, I'm saying I appreciate it um, from afar, as someone who doesn't vote in your precincts. I've always Always had a beautiful experience at the polls, whether in Chicago or here in Connecticut. And, you know, I I would wish that for every voter. You know, I maybe this year is also the year when people actually start paying more attention to poll workers. 
I don't know. I'd love to see, I'd love to see that, but you know what? I'm okay being a street level bureaucrat. I am okay being a grunt. Nice. Like, it's like, I basically, I came here to do two things, run elections and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. There is like so many taglines that I want to like have be the tagline for this episode. Cause like, you've got some great singers. Like I'm, I'm really excited to sit down and, and edit this and good street level bureaucracy reference. Have you read the Michael Lipsky street level bureaucracy book? No, I didn't hear the first time I ever heard the term was from Thad Hall. That would make sense. Yep. Oh my God. I met, I met Thad Hall. Um, I met Thad Hall around the same time I met Amber McReynolds and it was like, oh, wow. I was just like completely starstruck. I couldn't even talk. Oh my God. Well, we should all be starstruck talking to you in my opinion. Um, because you know, we're in our, I I shouldn't diminish the work that we do. It's really important, but like, you know, we're in our ivory tower and, um, you know, the, the best times of my research have been when I've actually been able to be on the ground. I've done some polling place observations, um, obviously speak a lot with poll workers as well. Well, Jenya, thank you so, so much for taking the time. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, anything else that you think listeners would be curious about in terms of who you are and your, your democracy biography? Well, it's just, you know what, I'm here to do, it's like, I'm here to serve the voters. That's really, it's like, you can mess with anyone, but don't mess with my voters because you'll have to go through me. And even if I am like five feet tall, and five foot five, about 128 pounds, you know, I'll still give you a tussle. <laughs> of and it's just, it's, you know, it's like, we do this because we don't do this to get, nobody goes into elections to make money. Yeah. You do it because you genuinely want to make democracy a more accessible process for everybody. And we're lucky. We're, I mean, even if America's got some issues right now, people are still willing to die to come here. And there's not that many other countries I can think of who are like that. So it's like, let's honor those who are willing to risk their lives to come here and who did risk their lives to fight for this place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like patriotism is as patriotism does. Mm. And the most, the best thing you can do is honor like let's honor this country. Let's vote. Let's try to service poll workers. You know, we can all do a little, the best part about elections is there's always something that can be made better. Yeah. And not, and each person will have something different to add and make, to, to add to the, you know, tapestry, I suppose. Yeah. And that's really, if you yeah. think about it, like the beauty of a, of a democracy that is run and powered by the people is that that sort of it, like it's democratic in its administration and as well as sort of, you know, like it's a democracy, democratized process, uplifting democracy. And that's really, really, really beautiful. And, you know, I think about all of my, um, you know, the students who intern for campaigns and things like that and, 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 and work for interest groups. And um, it's great. It's great work. It, I think it really sets them up well for when they leave college. Uh, but I just, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had a generation of young folks who also really wanted to get into election administration? Um, Awesome. I mean, I'm still trying to get into election. <laughs> hey, at least I've worked my way somewhat up the food chain. I'm no longer krill. I am now. Um, I think I now have a. I think I now have a vertebrae. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great metaphor. That's a great metaphor. Absolutely, and I'd also like to say hi to my elections daily crew. Um, Eric Cunningham is the editor in chief there, and he's—I I swear—if I have a guardian angel in writing, his name is Eric. Oh, oh my gosh! I mean, seriously, the elections daily crew—I could not be blessed to work with a better crew of young writers. All right, well, thank, thank you. you so much. Enjoy the rest of your your day off, and I hope things go well. You know, sending you uh, good vibes virtually you. over the internet. 
Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.